0: Well, let me start off by reading from the ancient writings of Jonah. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? For the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, "O Lord, let us not perish for the man's life, and lay not us on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it is pleased." So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, let me read to you from the great writings of the fellowship. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in the halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all in all in darkness and bind them in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. He paused and then he said slowly in a deep voice, This is the master ring. The one ring to rule them all. What's the difference? What's the difference between this book and this book? What's the difference between this story and this story? Is there a difference? Why should we stand on the anchor of the BIBLE? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the BIBLE, and all the kids scream, "Pow!" Why should we stand On this book, isn't this just maybe a book of fairy tales, just stories like the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring? What's the difference? Why should you anchor and stand and live for the things of the word of God? The scriptures tell us in the book of Hebrews, it says, it says that, that for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the division of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Is it though? Is it really living? Is it really alive? Is it really sharper than any two-edged sword? I always say that there's a pulse in the pages. Is it truly that? Like, what literally makes this legit? What makes this God's word that we can stand on? I mean, why this instead of the Quran and the Islam faith? Like, why this instead of of, of the the book of um of the book of Mormon, for instance, or why this instead of uh, the book of uh, Vedas and the Hinduism faith? Or the book of Tripitaka and the Buddhism faith? Or, or why the New Testament and not just the Old Testament like the Jews just believe in the Old Testament? Like what makes this the sound legit word of God? And I know that for some of you, as you watch this and as you're listening, that has what, this is what has kept you from exploring more and diving into your faith. Because the minute that someone says, well, the Bible says, or the Bible says so, you're checked out. You're like, well, you're gonna base it off of this, off of, uh, of, of a book that men wrote and were flawless, and so you want me to base my life on what this thing says? And it's kept you from exploring faith. For others of you, you believe in God, you believe Jesus is God, You've surrendered your life to him. But if you're honest, when you think about why you should believe this and follow what it says, sometimes you lack confidence of wondering, should I really anchor my entire life on everything that this book says? This book, the scriptures put together to make the Bible, this collection, is a map is like a guide for us to help us on our journey, to keep us in the right direction, to help us get to the destination where we want to end up at. Because, I mean, come on, none of us want the wrong directions. It's annoying when we get the wrong directions and we end up in the wrong spot that we're not supposed to. None of us want that. And so the goal today is to give all of us some more confidence that this is the right map. That this is the right God guide that can guide your life and that you can stand on with security and with confidence. And so that's what we're going to look at today as we explore the ultimate map, the ultimate truth, the ultimate guide, God's word for our lives. But before we explore God's truth, God's word, I want to pray for you and pray for me. Father, I just ask right now that you would help us Uh, to hear exactly what you want us to hear today, and that uh, we would clear distraction and, and hear from you. I ask that you would control my mind and my spirit and my tongue as I communicate. I pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so... You're going to need to put your thinking cap on today. This message is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little apologetic. There's going to be a lot of facts. Some of you might be like, whoa, this just too much for others of you. You're going to want more and more and more. And there's so much to discover. There's so much to explore. There's so much history. There's so much evidence and proof that this is God's word. Here we have a collection of books that were written on three different continents in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic by 40 different authors written over a 1,500-year time span put into a collection. This is the inspired, we believe at Miles City, the inspired, inerrant word of God. The scriptures tell us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. We believe that this is God-inspired, that God spoke through humans to write down what he wanted us to have. And it has been preserved. And it has been it's unbelievable how it has lasted through the test of times like no other. And these just weren't people that were like, robotic and writing everything down specifically, God used their their, their time in history, their, their personality, what they saw, their eyewitness accounts, and specifically wrote what God wanted them to have written down. Not only is it inspired and inspired God's word, but it is the inerrant word, meaning there is no error within God's word. And it's amazing, all that has happened, all that it has taken place, and how this has been preserved. Before there were even copy machines how the the process that the scribes would do to write on the old papyrus scrolls and writing it down and over and over again. And yes, because humans are humans, are there little teeny flaws of these and those because of of translational human error? Trivial, yes. But all uh, scholars are in agreement that these trivial, uh, you know, mismarks, were not marks that would change or shift a major theological or belief. So you can be confident that the word of God that we have today has been through such scrutiny and trial and has stood the test of time. God's word is inerrant and it is in the inspired Word of God. Why should you believe it? Why should you hang on to it? Why should you anchor your life on God's Word? I want to give us, there's so many, but I want to just kind of do a 30,000 foot look over five different ways that you can be confident that this is God's Word. The first reason is that archaeology declares it. Archaeology declares it. You can stand on the Word of God because archaeology declares it right now. You could get on an airplane and fly over to the specific spots that the scriptures talk about. There has archaeology has uncovered cities, has uncovered specific rulers, battles, artifacts, hundreds of names of biblical people that are in this book. They have uncovered throughout the time span. And there's so many different examples of archaeological evidences to prove the scriptures. Like for one, let's just talk about one, for instance, uh, the ancient Tel site of Lachish that is written in here 22 different times in seven different books that was captured and conquered. The Assyrian siege that took place in 705 B.C. And when they uncovered it, they have evidence of this Assyrian siege that took place in the city of Lachish. Even crazier, in 1935, there was a discovery that archaeology unveiled in 1935, the letters of Lachish. The letters of Lachish and these letters that were found in in the time frame of 590 B.C., proved the prophecy that the prophet Jeremiah was speaking to King Zedekiah. It says in uh, Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, so Jeremiah the prophet delivered the message to to King Zedekiah of Judah at this time of the Babylonian army was besieging Jerusalem, Lachish and Azekah, the only fortified cities of Judah not yet captured, proving the prophecy that Jeremiah... Uh, told King Zedekiah. It's unbelievable. All of these evidences of events and battles that actually took place actually happened. Let's go to the New Testament. In John chapter 9, we have Jesus who came across a man who was blind from birth. And Jesus did a miracle and spit on the ground and made mud Spy, if you will and put it over his eyes and 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 he told the man to wash off his eyes in the pool of salome and then he did and then the man was could see it was a miracle now many skeptics of the scriptures and of john's writings believe that you know he added stories and fairy tales to embellish the stories of jesus well no joke In 2004, in the city of Jerusalem, there was this sewage break and they were redoing the sewage lines and they stumbled upon a first century pool right here. And as they discovered and archaeology unveiled this pool... They found in the plaster coins dating just before Jesus' time and just after. All archaeology is in agreement that this is the pool of Siloam where the blind man could, was once blind and now could see. A Jewish rabbi, Nelson Gluick, says this. It may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever Controverted a biblical reference. It gives us the history. It gives us the evidences and the culture of what happened before our time. Why should you anchor your life upon the scriptures? Well, one, archaeology declares it. But two, science declares it. Science declares it. A lot of times people think that this book and science have been at odds. And what's really interesting is that many times throughout the history of the world, Science had to play catch up with what the scriptures were saying. was what the Bible was saying. Like, for instance, uh, when we look at the earth, for many, many, many years, people thought that the earth was flat and that you would just literally at some point get to a point and you just fall off. Now, some people still believe the earth is flat. I'm not here to debate that right now. Uh, But the general understanding is that the world is a sphere. Well, it was in the time of 240 B.C., is when the Greeks got the idea that they started to put into play that the world was round, that the world was a sphere. But in 600 B.C., we see in the book of Job declaring this truth. Job 26.10. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. Before anyone made it uh, uh, a concrete The scriptures made it concrete that the world was round. What's interesting, too, is that in the book of Job, chapter 40 and 41, it talks about these ginormous beasts, and many start to debate that what it is describing is what we would call today the modern dinosaur. That's up for debate, but it is interesting because it is in the time before the flood that... Uh, these beasts that Job talks about in forty forty one, You should read it. It's pretty cool. Uh, some would say it makes sense that they would be the dinosaurs that we now call dinosaurs today. Let's talk about the stars. But, but before we had the technology to know that the stars were outnumbered and you couldn't count them all, Jeremiah 33, says, And as the stars of the sky cannot be counted, the idea that you can't count these. And not only that, each star is unique. Check this out in Jeremiah or in 1 Corinthians 15. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. Before we had the technology to understand without just the naked eye, that each star has its specific unique characteristics, the scriptures let us in on that clue. What about our blood? What about an understanding that how our blood is a life source for us. Well, up until just recently, there was this form of medicine practice called bloodletting that would literally suck the blood out thinking that blood could harm you. And even our latest or our first president George Washington on his deathbed went through the process of bloodletting, which we all know today is not a proper procedure for your health. But in Leviticus chapter 17, 17:11, 17, uh, God declared to the Israelites that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Why should you anchor your life on God's word? Well, one, because archaeology declares it, but also science backs it and science declares it. But not only that, history declares it. There are so many other ancient literature texts that support the evidences of the events and the characters who lived within these times. For instance, we have the writings of Josephus. Uh, that talks specifically about Jesus and Pontius Pilate and Herod the Great and John the Baptist. We have the writings of Lucian and the Babylonia Talmud in the second century talking specifically about the crucifixion of Jesus. We have Pliny the Younger, the Roman governor of Bithynia, who was seeking legal advice of what to do with all these Christians that were coming from every age, every sex, every class that would not stop worshiping Jesus and didn't know what to do with them. And here's one of the writings from Pliny. It's unreal. Check this out. It says, they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day. This is in 130 AD. They were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light. They sang an alternative verse as a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath. It's unbelievable. The historical outside of the scriptures, evidence, documentation that backs that these events actually took place. But let's go a little further when it comes to history. Let's talk about the historical documentation that we have that proves that this is the anchor. It's unbelievable. Let's kind of go on a little journey. We got this analogy from the Creation Museum and they used coffee beans but we're going to use coins okay, to show the example of how amazing God's word is because it's a a treasure. So we're going to use coins because we're exploring. It's like a, a treasure hunt. Now We have the Bible in the center, and we have four other ancient texts. What you got to understand here is that if you were to look all over the world, philosophers, the most prestigious universities, believe that these four texts are historical, they're accurate, they're not a bunch of fairy tale. They believe it to be true, and they don't question the accuracy of these four books. But check this out. So the first book, Now I had to make sure that I say this and practice this right because I don't want to say it wrong, okay? The Annals... By Tacitus, okay? Okay, Just we'll, we'll move on from there. But this, these writings were in AD 100. But we only have manuscripts that date 750 years after the event that it took place. And we only have two copies. 750 year gap to when it was written. Okay, that's unbelievable. Then you've got uh, the, uh, the Plato Dialogues. The Plato Dialogues was written in 400 BC, and we only have seven copies that there's a 1,200-year gap between when it was written and the manuscripts that we have. 700 or 1,200-year gap. That's crazy. Then if we head over here, we've got the, the Histories of Herodotus, which was written in 430 BC, but the only manuscripts that we have are 1,300 years between when it was actually written. That's a massive gap. And check it out. We only have nine copies of the manuscripts of this book. And then last but not least, let's talk about the Gallic Wars by Caesar written in 50 BC. But there's a 900-year gap from when we have a manuscript of the Wars by Caesar. And we only have 10 copies. And again... Historians, philosophers, and all the major universities, no one questions these. No one questions these at all. But I mean, just, just imagine 9 11, not having any manuscripts, not having any, and 900 to 1,000 years after the event took place. I mean, what would it be? What, I mean, what would have been made up? What would have been passed on through time that, that these, a, a bunch of geese like got together and had these super forces that, you know, flew through the World Trade Center? I mean, who knows? the stories that could have been embellished over 900 years. But let's talk about this. Let's just, let's just talk about the New Testament alone, okay? The New Testament, the, all of the books within the New Testament were written in the early first century. And estimations are between a 40 to 50 year gap between the time of the events and then the recordings of the manuscripts. It's unbelievable, only a 50 year year gap. And how many manuscripts do we have? <laughs> it's a treasure. We have over, we have, what do we got? We have 6,000. Yeah, can you hear me? Six thousand, six thousand 6,000 manuscripts of Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. It's unbelievable, but this is going to even blow your mind even more. Let's not stop there. That's just the Greek manuscripts. We got to include the Latin, the Coptic, and the Arminian manuscripts, where we've got about 20,000 manuscripts. That's right, 20,000 manuscripts. And yet everyone questions this what a treasure! What a gift that we have. If you, why do you anchor your life on God's word? Because history declares it. History declares it. Never doubt the treasure that we have in God's word. Not only does history declare it, but prophecy declares it. Prophecy declares it. The scriptures, this book is filled with so much prophecy. It's laced with so much prophecy. It's just unbelievable. There's over 2,500 prophecies within these pages that are put together. And almost 2,000 of them have been fulfilled. And the other 500 are in process of being fulfilled that we will actually see happen as the coming of Jesus will soon return. It's unbelievable. But let's talk specifically about 300 of those prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus Christ fulfilled 300 prophecies from the Old Testament of the coming Messiah. And he fulfilled every single one of them. So let's just take eight of them. Okay, let's just take eight. He was born of a virgin. So he predicted, he fulfilled a prophecy before he was even born. Try that, okay? Uh, Born in Bethlehem. From the tribe of Judah, began ministry in Galilee, performs miracles, enters Jerusalem on a donkey, betrayal by a friend, sold, 30, sold for 30 pieces of silver when he was betrayed. I mean, come on. It's unbelievable. So if, if one person, mathematically, was to uh, take uh, eight prophecies and, and actually fulfill them and predict them, that would be like one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a lot of zeros. How do we even wrap our minds around a number like that? I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but luckily there are mathematicians. And there was a mathematician named Peter Stoner, and he was from Pasadena College, and he came up with this concept that if you were to take the state of Texas and you were to fill it with coins two feet, like right up to your knee, the whole entire state of Texas, take one of the coins and mark them, blindfold someone, give them as much time as they want, and then they have to just look down with the blindfold on, pick one out, and if they got the one with the mark on it, that's the similar odds of one man fulfilling eight prophecies of the Old Testament. It's unbelievable. Why do we anchor our lives upon these scriptures? Well, because archaeology declares it. Science declares it, history declares it, prophecy declares it, and last, Jesus declares it. Jesus declares that this is God's word. Matthew 4.4 says this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 5.17 says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus believed that this was God's word. Jesus believed in the Old Testament. He he talks about Moses and other prophets in Luke 16. He talks about Adam and Eve in Matthew chapter 19. He talks about Noah and the flood in Matthew chapter 24. And then he talks about Jonah and the whale like we read in the very beginning in Matthew chapter 12. Here's what he says. He says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, He uses that story to predict another prophecy that he will fulfill. He says, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and for three nights. But he wouldn't stay in the earth. He would rise from the earth. He would rise from the dead and conquer the grave once and for all. Why do you anchor your life on this? It's because Jesus declared it. Jesus declares it to be God's inspired word of God. Now, again, if you're still hanging on with me, some of you, it's still not enough. And this still will keep you and make you check out of exploring God and exploring Jesus. And here's my challenge for you. Don't let this check you out of exploring who Jesus is. The foundation of our faith is based on God's word, on his scripture. But not only that, it's based on an event that actually took place, the resurrection. The New Testament wasn't even compiled until after Jesus ascended into heaven. So the event of the resurrection, you need to explore. And we say this all the time but when you explore if Jesus truly rose from the dead, then it allows you to get all your other questions answered and then it allows you to look at this and have even more confidence that this is the anchor, the inerrant inspired word of God. Don't stop exploring. Don't allow this to make you check out of exploring faith in Jesus. Keep exploring. Let's recap, why? Should you stand alone on the word of God? Because archaeology declares it, science declares it, history declares it, prophecy declares it, and Jesus declares it. Well, oh, wait a second. There's one more. I forgot, almost forgot. I declare it. I declare it. I've seen the word of god transform my life i've seen this word of god transform my wife's life i've seen it transform my friends' lives i've seen it move people supernaturally in ways that i can't even explain I've seen people find healing. I've seen people find freedom. I've seen people find comfort and peace that surpasses all understanding. I have felt the pulse in the pages. I have felt the sharpening of it shaping me and guiding me. I have felt it pulling me off of the cliff from going off the deep end to bringing me on the path that God has for me. I've seen it work. And if God can transform me, that's some serious evidence. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have felt the transforming power. And I want you to hear me because this is so important. The evidence of your life, allowing God's word to transform your life, is bigger than you'll ever know. In fact, for many, that means more than uncovering an archaeological site And uncovering some artifact. But when people see God's work uncovering and dig and wipe the dust out of your life and dig things out of your life and see the transformation out of your life, that evidence is so much bigger than any other evidence that I could have thrown out at you today. Be the evidence. Are you allowing God's word to transform your life so that you can be the evidence? Be encouraged today. Leave this video today having confidence that you can stand on God's word, that this is the right guide, that this is the right map to get you in the right direction, to get you to the ultimate destination for your life here on this earth and when you leave this earth. Are you anchoring to God's word today? Maybe for some of you it's time to pick it up and dust it off and begin rereading it or for some of you maybe it's reading it for the very first time for yourself for others of you maybe through this talk you've heard of the evidences being declared through science and history and archaeology and prophecy and and something clicked in your mind like wow this is true This really is true. But you've never believed it for yourself. You've never received it for yourself. If you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity right now. So wherever you're at, wherever you're watching, in the quietness of this moment, I want to remind you that the scriptures say that if we get to the point to believe that Jesus is God and that he died and rose again for us, he's the only one that can take our sins away. If we truly believe that, If we move in that direction that he'll move towards us and we'll be saved and so if that's you just in the quietness of this moment just say Father here I am I declare that you are God I believe it I see it I finally get it and so right now I, I, I confess my sin to you I believe that you alone Jesus are God thank you for dying for me Tell them that with gratitude. Thank you for rising again for me. Oh, I lower my pride. I surrender my life to you. And right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we continue to pray, be encouraged, wherever you're listening, that the scriptures, God's sound word says that if you truly believed that you will no longer perish, but you will have everlasting life with him. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for how it moves in our lives. We love you. We pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen. Well, hey, if you made a decision, if you truly believed, if it clicked today, and and, and you believed and received Jesus, as your Savior today. We don't want you to walk alone. Our vision's helping people move towards God. Imperfect, we don't have all the answers, but trying to move towards Him. And we would just love to celebrate with you. So just text the number, to the uh, just text the word to the number on the screen, and we would just love to celebrate with you and answer any question that you might have.